you know, the game's changed in the last 20 years. So I remember a couple of them. We had we had a couple of guys like Sugden, Wingfield, and obviously they had some tough boys as well. But sometimes before the game even started, there'd be two or three fights before the puck even dropped. I mean, those days, those that doesn't happen anymore. But yeah, we'd look on the schedule when we get it, and you'd see that you're playing a Rochester Friday at home, Saturday in Rochester, and sometimes even Sunday in the afternoon. So you're playing a team three times in a row just because of travel. I don't know who made the schedule, but you see that on, you're like, oh boy, this is gonna be a battle. Hi there, welcome to the show. I'm Lucas Favalli, and this is Crunch Chronicles, presented by Wendy's. Today on the show, we catch up with a former Crunch defenseman who spent three seasons with the Crunch. We're talking about Daryl Scoville, who began his Crunch tenure in 2001-02 when he signed with the Columbus Blue Jackets as a free agent that summer. He posted 21 points in 51 games that season to help the Crunch win their first division title. The following season, Scoville was limited to just 24 games due to injury, but he did rebound with a strong season in 2003-04. He served as the Crunch's captain that year and produced 42 points in 70 games before finishing the regular season in Columbus. He totaled 145 games during his time in Syracuse, locking 76 points. He played one more AHL season before finishing his career in Europe from 2005 to 2011. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Wendy's Pretzel Bacon Pub Cheeseburger is back. Dive into a bite packed with warm, savory beer cheese, applewood smoked bacon, crispy fried onions, and hot and juicy beef. All perfectly paired with a Dr. Pepper at participating U.S. Wendy's for a limited time. Dr. Pepper is a registered trademark of Dr. Pepper 7-Up, Inc., Lee Baldwin and Company is a proud sponsor of the Syracuse Crunch. For all of your investment needs, check them out at investtoday.com. Lee Baldwin and Company, you do the dreaming, they'll do the math. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great as well. It's uh, exciting to have you here on the show today as we uh, get caught up on, on what you've got going on. Let's, let's start there. Where, where are you these days and uh, what's keeping you busy? So I uh, still reside in just outside of Portland, Maine, in Scarborough, Maine. Uh, we actually built a house here while we were still living in Syracuse back in 2001. And we've actually been living in the same house here in Scarborough for 21 years now. So, And I'm obviously fully retired from hockey. I wish I could still say I was playing, but uh, the old body broke down pretty quickly near the end. And uh, I actually work for a beer and wine distributor up in Maine here now as a deep retail district manager awesome what got you in just the background of maine what led you there i guess so back when we were when i was still playing with syracuse and then obviously after that i continued to play hockey some more but uh carrie's parents my wife's parents uh retired up in maine here and i'm obviously from saskatchewan canada western canada and my wife well let's just say she wasn't going to move out to saskatchewan so so we settled in maine because she's originally from Massachusetts and I didn't want to live near Boston so yeah we've uh we just settled here and she actually started her own real estate company has been doing that for about 15 years now and yeah we're we're settled here both our kids are now actually out of the house oh there believe you go. it or not 
time flies. My oldest daughter's 24, living in Boston, working for Deloitte. And my younger daughter is a freshman at Merrimack, which is actually where my wife and I went to school also and where we met. So it's kind of a cool story. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, she's following in the footsteps then, and uh, that's really neat. Uh, we'll go down that route a little bit in terms of, you know, being in Maine. And, and now you said wine and beer distributions. What's uh, what, what does that entail for you? So I actually started off as a, on the Red Bull side, and I was a manager of a team of four. Uh, but then after about three years, I switched over to the wine and beer side. So now I manage a team of four sales reps and four merchandisers and pretty much cover the coast from Kittery, Maine to Booth Bay, Maine, and just yeah, help on my team where I can and cover their vacations. And Yeah, it's a pretty interesting job. It's changing every day with new brands, new beer and wine, and suppliers coming in. And yeah, I've been doing it now since 2011, so going on 13 years with the same company. That's so. yeah, that's awesome. You you can't uh, can't ask for any better than I guess for that. What was there a reason you got into that, or is that just what what felt right at the time when you when you got started? So I was playing my last year over in Italy. It was just one of those years where I was 37, sitting back at Christmas. I was by myself at Christmas because my wife and kids stayed over here because they were obviously still in school. So. And then I just said to myself, you know what? I don't think there's anywhere to go from here. So I really started to think about it. And that summer, I came home, started looking for a job. And I actually got very lucky to get this job. I talked to someone with Miller Coors and said, I'd like to stay in Maine, but I'm willing to move. And I got a call like a month later from the owner of the company up here and met him. And needless to say, he was a big hockey fan. So... Hockey kind of helped me get the job where I am today, and uh, yeah, I'm still there. So that's awesome. Was when you know you said you were at Merrimack. Did you you study? I don't know if there's anything to study for that necessarily, but what did you study in school, and and uh, how do you think that may or may not have helped? I guess where you are now. So I took business uh, with a focus on accounting and finance, but I also took some management and marketing classes. So. It, it all kind of works into the business side of it because there's numbers and all that. And then just being able to socialize and talk to people nowadays is, is the biggest thing you got to be able to do. And yeah, then you just got to learn how to sweet talk and sell some stuff. So <laughs> well, that, <laughs> I've never had a problem with the gift of gab to say the least. So. <laughs> uh, and that is, uh, we were chatting with someone a couple of weeks ago and, and uh, you know, talked about you know, the post life, uh, post hockey, you know, retirement life and, and what that, what they're into now and it really is amazing how much you know being around hockey for however long it might be for each player uh it helps that gift of gab like you said there it, just being able to 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 socialize i guess whether it's in school or and then once you get to the pro level it's uh, that is i'm sure a big takeaway to, to help you transition into the business world yeah, absolutely. And then I also, well, I'm sure you're aware, Jim, my, my second year in Syracuse was not one of the best years. And I ended up being hurt for probably a majority of the season. I would play 20 games, but I did do the, the radio at all the home games. So that, that was something different that I quite enjoyed. I never really followed up after after I moved on and stuff, but that's still something I, I didn't mind doing. And it, it makes you be able to talk and think on the spot, and I really quite enjoyed that. Yeah, working with Bobby Mack, I'm sure. How, what was, how was that? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I'm sure you know all the Bobby Mack stories, oh, so I'll yeah. just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he is uh, he is one of a kind, and we are well. We had him on the show at one point last year as well, and uh, we could have got on for hours with all the stories he has. But uh, and that's really fun and and uh, great to hear. But you know, going back to to the business world again, and and you know the post hockey life for you. How do you think besides just being able to you know to talk and and, and socialize and all that stuff? Just you know, how was I guess the transition like uh, when you when you left hockey? I know a lot of guys talk about it is a dramatic transition going from, you know, the, the daily grind of a hockey uh, life to the, the real world, which can sometimes be a harsh reality at times. Yeah, you summed it up perfectly. Yeah, the first three years, it was uh, needless to say, my head was spinning because you just it's a different routine. It's every day. It's it's even more. Everyone says hockey's a grind, but we've been doing it all. I was doing it all my life. So then when you get into this and you got to deal with a boss and employees and HR stuff. And it was uh, if you ask my wife, the first two and a half years, I was uh, stressed and there were some tense days to say the least. So yeah, the transition was definitely tough. And, but after the three years, I'd say it, it kind of settled in, you kind of figure it out, but uh, I can see how sometimes people just say, no, I want to go back and play hockey. But yeah. unfortunately I figured out that I couldn't do it forever as much as we'd like to think we're all Tom Brady and play till we're 47, but that just doesn't happen in hockey for the most part. That's very rare to see for sure. Uh, and uh, it's uh, only for, I guess the best of the best, if they, even can can manage all that at the end of the day. Daryl Scoville is our guest here on Crunch Chronicles. We talked about Merrimack briefly. Uh, uh, was, did you kind of lead your daughter that way? Say, hey, you got to go here to follow in our footsteps, or or what what happened there? No, it wasn't even her top choice. She had a few other schools, and my wife actually took her around and visited most of the schools in the Northeast here within an hour or two. She didn't want to go too far away, but far enough. So she she visited, man. She just. I don't know. There's something that it's obviously changed in 20 years since we went there, but yeah, we did not push her anyway, but once she made the decision, it was kind of one of those moments where you sit back and go, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so, oh, I bet. That's, uh, that is awesome. Uh, Daryl Scoville is our guest, like we said. All right, let's, uh, let's shift now to uh, your time here in Syracuse with the crunch. Uh, it was like we uh, mentioned earlier at the top three seasons in Syracuse uh, with the Columbus Blue Jackets organization starting in 2001, 2002. Uh, before we dive into the, uh, the kind of the nitty gritty, though, well, just uh, you know your your thoughts uh, from a wide lens on your time in Syracuse. Uh, I mean, the thing that stands out the most is still that first year, the the devastating loss in 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 the playoffs in overtime to Chicago, who ended up going on to win the Calder Cup, and we had a really good team that first year there in Syracuse, and that was just a disappointing end to the season, to say the least. That's that's what sticks out the most. I mean, yeah, the next year I had a lot of injuries, and that's pretty frustrating. But from a hockey standpoint, that first year we had a we had a decent team, and kind of I think. I can't remember exactly, but I think we were up three games to one and might have lost the last three or something like that. But all I remember is it was overtime and Derek Walzer went down, took a slap shot, missed the net, went all the way around. And I think I had a three on one coming back on me and they pretty much turned me around and 
<laughs> made me look pretty bad. And well, that was the end of it. And yeah, that, that night still sticks. Cause I, you hate to lose to the team that goes on to win the Calder cup. So. Yeah. And, and we've, we've actually had a couple of folks on uh, recently from, uh, from that team as well. And we'll kind of dive into those guys in a bit. Sean Pronger and Dan Watson were uh, recent guests here on crunch Chronicles, but uh, those guys talking about how, how good that team was and, and how close it was as well. You know, when you think back on that team, besides just how it ended, what, you know, what do you remember the most from that first season here in Syracuse? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a couple guys, but the other guys like J.F. LeBay, Langer, Moran, Darsh, Macton, like we were, that was the core. There were six or seven of us that stayed pretty close together there. Jeremy Reach, I mean, I don't, I can't list everyone, but that was a good core guys that I played with for the full three years there. And I don't know, we got along off the ice, on the ice. We did a lot of team functions and stuff. You know, it's just one of those things that, when teams put these kind of teams together, they just, you don't know how it's going to work. Right. It's you, sometimes you get along with everyone. Sometimes you don't, but we just had such a good group of guys and it helps when the wives all get along too. So yeah, there was just something about that team and it was just a frustrating end end of that year. The crunch losing that second round series to Chicago in, uh, in seven games. That was your first year in Syracuse. You, you started your career in the, with the, uh, the flames, St. John flames. Uh, you got a couple of games there in Calgary as well. What, you know, for someone, you know, listening or, or maybe just getting into, uh, what the beauty of this podcast is, it's a great chance for the newer fans to meet some of the players who played before. Maybe they were fans. What led you to Syracuse, uh, in that first season here with the crunch? So, like you mentioned, I was in St. John for three seasons. And the, the third season, I actually, we ended up winning the Calder Cup, beating Wilkes-Barre in the sixth game. And so I was actually become a free agent. And Calgary had made it known, like, I wasn't probably in their plans to play with the Flames. So then I'm like, well, maybe it's time to explore other options. And, yeah, it came down to between Columbus and Washington. And I just kind of evaluated everything and the team and looking at the AHL city and all that and yeah Syracuse was close to Toronto where my sister was from so they got to come down and watch some games too and yeah it just seemed like a good fit with Columbus and then obviously it didn't work out there the first couple years but ended up the third year which we can get into a little bit is ended up finishing the season with uh the big team up in Columbus, but then unfortunately the next year was the lockout and that was pretty much the end of my career over here before I went over to Europe for six years. So the year before you joined the crunch in St. John, you won the cup and I, I think you scored the, uh, the cup clinching goal. Is that right? Yeah, that was, uh, it was game six at home and uh, the score ended up being one, nothing. And I, I was fortunate enough to score a goal at the end of the second and it held up to be the only, only goal. So needless to say, that's a pretty cool moment. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll remember that one forever. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, really a neat moment. I'm sure. And that, uh, that cup clinching victory there in St. John. All right. So you're in Syracuse now. It's that first season again. I'm, I'm sure you, you knew about the city obviously, but what was your first impression when you jump in into, Syracuse in this you know we know it's an old building it still is an old building it was old then uh what was your first impression though of being the home team here in Syracuse no it was pretty cool the fans I remember being a road team there too once not too many times because we were in a different division but the fans were always rowdy and then once once you're playing for the home team uh, you guys have a good core group of fans that I'm sure some of them are still there and I'm sure you've developed a lot of new ones but uh it was it was a fun place to play uh and as you can say the rink 
needed some upgrades to say the least, but teams did not like to come play in there, which we used to our advantage a lot of the time. So Yeah, we had Gary Agnew on uh, <laughs> the start of this season as well, talking about, you know, it's it was definitely a home ice advantage with uh, what that visiting locker room looks like, and that has remained the same. How challenging was it as a visitor to come in here, though, and, and try to try to play in this building? Yeah, it was. Uh, you you circled that one on the calendar because you're like, oh, boy, well, I know those dressing rooms. I know that rink. And it's uh, that's all you can ask for, though. And I mean, you, it, it was fun to come in there as a visitor, but it was definitely enjoyable playing, playing for the home team there as well. Daryl Scoville, our guest here on Crunch Chronicles. Daryl, who spent three seasons with the Crunch back in the, uh, the early 2000s, 01 through 04. All right. So that's year one for the Crunch. You talk about that team and, and uh, the fun run you guys had before losing to uh, Chicago year two how challenging was it you've already talked about the injuries um you know, how challenging of a season is that for for you personally just to to only you know limited to 20 plus games and and uh, to miss so much time with injury yeah that was that was probably my most frustrating year as a professional in the 13 years just start the year off really well and then I don't remember the exact order of the injuries but I think I had the sports hernia then I had a broken foot and then I did something to my shoulder. And then it was my, it was just like, I'd come back for one game. And then, then I had, it got to the point where I'd look at Gary and I'd just be like, you gotta be kidding me. So it was, and then to sit up in the stands and just why like we had us, we struggled. We struggled that year to say the least, we didn't even make the playoffs. So that to go from the first year to that year was kind of a 360 and it was kind of disappointing when you're sitting in the stands and you just wish you could be out there helping your team especially when we ended up losing obviously more games than we won that year so uh pretty frustrating to say the least i know injuries are part of hockey and per- part of sports but uh yeah that was uh that was definitely the most frustrating year i had in in my hockey career so you mentioned uh being up you know obviously in the stands at times also jumping up into the radio booth though with uh with bobby mack that season um how did that help you i guess maybe staying more involved uh in that regard just to you know feel like you're part of it in, in one sense even though you're not on the ice just to to stay more engaged in a game that way up in the booth Oh, absolutely. And it does, it makes you watch different parts of the game, which I picked up from Bobby Mack. I mean, just the way he calls the game and then you see, and when you're up, when you're up that high, it's, it's like, they always say the eye in the sky, you see things differently. So it definitely, you you saw, you could help guys out. I mean, I I wasn't obviously a coach, but I'd been around for a while. So if they asked for my opinion and I got along great with Gary and Ross. And so I'd sit down with them after a game and it, it was, it was definitely helpful, but to say I'd still want to be on the ice is obviously first and foremost. But, yeah, when they asked me to do that, it definitely made it a lot more exciting than sitting in the stands just saying, oh, God, I wish I was out there. So, yeah, yeah. to call the games was kind of fun and cool. Yeah, it's, it is for sure a different perspective. And, and we do hear coaches these days talking about, you know, if they if they have to scratch a player, it's it could be a good experience for them to get a, a better perspective of things just to take a breather and, and see how the game develops from a different view. Uh, we've talked about uh, Gary Agnew a couple times here. Let's uh, let's Let's pause on him. He was your coach here all three seasons in Syracuse. Spent six years uh, in total with the Crunch. Did uh, did Gary? What was he like, and and what made him so effective as a coach? So Gary was a very personable person, easy to approach, and he was he was a players' coach. Like he, I ended up was lucky enough to be an assistant captain for the first two seasons, and then my third season I was voted on to be captain by the team. So I got to obviously when you're 
a captain or assistant captain, you deal with the coaches a lot more than the rest of the team. But he was very open and honest, and I was open and honest with him and very approachable. And, yeah, we got along great. So, had some ups and downs that second season when we were losing a lot, but that's that's like any business or any company. I mean, it's just frustrating for everyone. You're trying to do a great job. And, yeah, Gary got the most out of a lot of guys. I mean, as you can see, a lot of guys I played with in, in Syracuse, uh, David Lang, Walzer. I mean, when you can develop guys the way Gary and Ross did, I mean, we had a lot of guys go up to Columbus and stick for quite a while. And, yeah, I mean, that's that gives kudos to him for, for what he did down in Syracuse. So. Yeah, one of the great guys uh, in this organization at that point. And everyone always talks so glowingly about him. And, and great to see him still involved in the game there in Abbotsford with the uh, the Canucks organization. All right, so let's move on to year three then. Uh, number three for you uh, was 0304. Mentioned it uh, just a moment ago. You were the captain of the team. What do you remember from uh, that final season here with the Crunch? Yeah, so it was obviously from the second season was uh, we turned it around again, had a, a fairly decent team. Probably not as good as that first team, but right up there. And uh, I mean, we I think we finished second. I don't think we finished first that year, but then we ended up having another tough first round defeat to the old nemesis down the road there, Rochester. Yeah, another game seven where we just couldn't come through. And I don't know if we were going to be Calder Cup bound that year, but you never know. I mean, the year Chicago beat us, they were a seventh seed. So it's just, it's frustrating when you battle hard all year with guys and you just, uh, just come up short but I think I mentioned earlier I did finish the year with Columbus that year and then to come back and try to help the guys in the playoffs and lose in the first round was pretty pretty disappointing but it was also good to be up in Columbus for the last uh, dozen or so games that game against Rochester the uh, that series against the Amherst so many people still refer to that that loss and, and how close that series was and it came down to that uh, that game seven uh, that is I'm sure that's a loss that still stings in one way for for you and as it does for you know a lot of the fans who were here at that point yeah game seven losses are never fun when you're on the losing side and especially when it's against your arch rival just down the road there but yeah unfortunately the two the two memories i have of playoff experiences in syracuse are both game seven losses to one to the chicago team that went on to win at rochester Fortunately, they didn't go on to win it, but game sevens, uh, yeah, that's it could go either way, and I happen to be on the short end of both of them, so that's unfortunate. What was that rivalry like, the uh, the Syracuse-Rochester rivalry in those days? I mean, these days it's it's 12 matchups a year. They're hotly contested, but there is another team around as well in Utica that has uh, picked up some of that rivalry slack away from, from Rochester, but what was it like then? Uh, I'm sure it was, uh, we've seen some of the videos, we've, we've heard a lot about it, but that rivalry, <laughs> Syracuse-Rochester, was, was not for no and as you know the game's changed in the last 20 years so i remember a couple of them we had we had a couple guys like sunken wingfield and obviously they had some tough boys as well but sometimes before the game even started there'd be two or three fights before the puck even dropped i mean those days those that doesn't happen anymore but yeah we'd look on the schedule when we get it and you'd see that you're playing a rochester friday at home saturday in rochester and sometimes even sunday in the afternoon so you're playing a team three times in a row just to, because of travel i don't know who made the schedule but you see that on you're like oh boy this is gonna be a battle yeah, mini, mini <laughs> playoff series <laughs> yeah, exactly but you know you're gonna play them 10 to 12 times a year and i mean it's a divisional foe and 
just down the road. So yeah, those are always pretty intense games, but fun to play because the atmosphere was always great in both arenas. Yeah, so. that is that's what makes it so much fun for I'm sure for you guys on the ice and for the fans in those stands. Uh, how how energetic those games uh, continue to be uh, between the Crunch and the Amherst. Uh, Daryl Scoville is our guest here on Crunch Chronicles. You did mention it earlier, you know, being captain that year. What does that mean to you though to to have a C on your jersey to be a captain of a team and to be the captain of the Crunch that year? It was a it was a tremendous honor. I'd been an assistant captain for a couple t- times with two different teams, and then just to be voted on by your team to be the captain, and then obviously the coaches had some say in it too. So it's it was definitely a special feeling, and it's uh, it's right up there with sc- scoring the winning goal in the Calder Cup. Being named captain by your peers is is obviously a tremendous accomplishment and, and honor to say the least. And just to represent the the Crunch organization at different events and stuff, and being introduced as the captain was a so real moment. And I'll cherish that forever we bounce back to a couple of your teammates we alluded to earlier who maybe they weren't involved necessarily that final season with you but uh, we did have them recently on the show so we'll get a quick thought on uh, on them we'll start with uh, with sean pronger who was coincidentally the captain that first year uh, you were here in uh, 0102 what, what was sean like uh, as a captain and as a as a teammate uh, he was a great captain. I mean, I pretty much learned from him just how to lead, how to stay in control, and just yeah, he was always worked. He, as you know, watching him play, I mean, he never the guy never he battled, he never gave up. He was hardworking and wasn't afraid to drop the mitts if he had to. Just everything you want in a captain, and then just very well respected around the league too. And obviously, everybody knows his brother, and he had to live in the coattails of his brother quite a bit. And uh, I thought he handled all that well but yeah he he was definitely a great captain that year and led us and unfortunate the way it ended it would have been nice to to give him a Calder Cup there too but it just didn't work out so and another guy on that team that year and uh, the year after as well was Dan Watson who we had on just last week actually he's now a coach in Toledo in the ECHL what was uh, what was Dan like for you Dan was a solid stay-at-home defenseman uh, obviously played with him a lot of the time but i mean we played with everybody so you had you had to be you had to know that you weren't just going to play with one guy with guys getting called up and injuries and all that but uh when i was out there with dan on the ice you knew he was uh he's pretty much going to have your back if i uh decided to rush the puck and get caught like i usually did but uh those things happen but yeah dan was a great guy and great teammate and yeah i, I was actually going to ask you because i i knew he was coach i just didn't know where he was at, at this moment but yeah. uh yeah he knows the game well and i'm not surprised he's coaching still so yeah no he uh he's in toledo there he's gone to the finals uh, the last couple of years that they've been in the playoffs so certainly he's got a good program going there with the walleye in toledo uh all right so that was your time in syracuse you played one more ahl season you talked about the lockout year so you were in the ahl uh mainly with providence uh, hershey as well then you go overseas you're in austria finish up in italy what was the uh, european experience like for you it was uh, definitely different. You're going over there with an open mind the first year, and you're like, wow, what am I getting into? You've, you hear stories from people. They like it. They don't. And So I ended up going to a team uh, in Filak, Austria, where I, I knew a couple guys. I hadn't played with them, but they kind of talked me into going over there and stuff. And so we end up – I ended up winning the championship in Austria my first year, kind of similar to like St. John and then moving to Syracuse. So I'm not sure if we wouldn't have won it this year because they're only allowed a certain amount of imports. So usually, typically, 
three or four a team, I think. And if you can get your passport and all that, it's different, but definitely winning it that year definitely helped. And Austria was a great place. I mean, I grew up in Canada and I kind of relate Austria to Canada. It's just the people were laid back and obviously the fans are crazy. You watch soccer matches, picture them jamming into a hockey rink, yelling and screaming and drinking beer and throwing it at you. And it was, it was quite the experience, but I liked it. Stayed in Felak for four years, ended up one year in Lintz and had, had had another serious injury. I actually tore my hamstring and pretty, yeah, pretty much lingered the whole year. So I, I only played a handful of games in Lintz and then I came back home and said, I, I don't know if this is, I think I might be done, but I was bound and determined not to end my career with an injury. So I rehabbed all summer and ended up going over to Italy and playing my last year in Italy for a guy I used to play at Merrimack was the coach there, Steve McKenna, who had a bunch of games in the NHL and obviously played with Pittsburgh and Mario. And he said, what do you think? You want to come over and give it a try? I said, Hey, why not? I, I want to play at least one more year and went over there and Italy obviously is a great place. And I enjoyed my time there, but the injury just kept lingering and lingering, which kind of led to my decision that that would be my last season. And uh, now <laughs> off into uh, the post hockey life for you, Daryl Scoville, our guest here on the show we'll uh, we'll let you run after this one just circling back though uh with your three seasons in syracuse any final thoughts or uh final uh, you know whether it's a story a thought however you want to take this on your time with the crunch no i mean i enjoyed my three years there it's a it was another stepping stone i just unfortunately the way it ended was probably not the way i wanted it to end i I don't know if Jim told you, but I did have a contract to come back to Syracuse that fourth season, but finishing the year in Columbus and then they were able to not honor my contract. And I, I don't need to get into all those details, but I was, I pretty much had the U-Haul packed and was headed to Syracuse that in the middle of August and got the phone call from uh, the GM and said, yeah, unfortunately we're going to put you on the lockout list and yeah, you're not going to, we're not, you're not going to be able to play in Syracuse this year. So that was that was pretty much a shock to the system, to say the least. So then I'm a week away from training camp and uh, don't have a job. So that's kind of – <laughs> there's no such thing as guaranteed contracts when they lock you out. So then I scrambled and ended up going to Hershey, and that just didn't work out and got traded to Providence, and that – kind of didn't work out either they wanted to play a lot of their prospects and then it was just we actually ended up going to the calder cup final with providence but i i was in and out of the lineup didn't play many games and wasn't wasn't in their plan so it was, it was unfortunate because in my opinion i think i could have helped them but that's here nor there now 20 years later but it was an unfortunate end to my career over here in the hl and nhl and just if that lockout wouldn't happen it's who knows what could have happened, but I had a great time in Syracuse. The fans were good. The teammates I met, and I mean, I still can't believe Jim Sorosi still there. What is he now, 30 years or something? Or? Just about, yeah. This is the 29th season of the Crunch, and he's been here for 28 of them, so uh, pretty Jeez, impressive. That's, he's probably the only guy there besides, well, obviously Howard's still there, but nobody else in the in the staff is still there in the office, we, right? we got he, ha Howard and Vance, so Vance is still around yeah. as well. Yep, those. that's it. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they always, Jim, Vance, and Howard always treated me well, so I just want to thank them for my time there. And, yeah, 
it's too bad I couldn't have had that fourth year there, but sometimes things are out of your control. But I enjoyed my time there, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, we appreciate you uh, coming on here today. This is Daryl Scoville, who spent three seasons with the Crunch, a former Crunch captain. Uh, Daryl, thanks again for your time, and uh, we wish you well here uh, moving forward. Thank you. You take care. There he is, Daryl Scoville. We thank him for giving us the time here today, and we hope you enjoyed that conversation. It was great to hear some of his stories and his perspective on the two playoff seasons in Syracuse in 2002 and 2004. Selfishly, I kind of wish we heard some of the Bobby Mack stories from that injury-riddled season for Daryl when he spent some time in the broadcast booth with Bob McGilligan. Anyway, if you have any stories about Daryl Scoville, we'd love to hear them and share them on an upcoming episode of the show. You can send in a voice memo to me via email, elfavali at syracusecrunch.com. That'll do it for this week's episode of the show. Thanks again to Daryl Scoville for joining us. For all of us at the Syracuse Crunch, I'm Lucas Favali saying so long for now. We'll chat again next week on another episode of Crunch Chronicles. Crunch Chronicles.